0: This is DTC Growth
1: Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test Advertising Simplified. Hi, I'm Rob McGrae, and this is DTC Growth Hacking presented by Field Test Advertising Made Simple. Field Test is the user interface that allows all brands to find and connect with their customers across the entire internet. Uh, for those of you who don't know the difference, there's something called walled gardens. And that's like social media networks like Facebook, for example, which are you know limited to Facebook. And then there's basically everything else on the Internet, which is also called the open web. And that's where Fieldtest is the best possible um, partner that you could ever imagine. Today, I'm super excited. On this uh, episode, we've got my friend Prairie Rose. And she is everyone, and I do mean everyone, everyone's favorite drinks writer. She's a writer, blogger, podcaster. She does everything. She's a trained sommelier. She's a spirits educator. And her amazing blog, Bit by a Fox, is the winner. uh, It's a winner of the Sabre Magazine's Reader's Choice Award for Best Drinks Blog. She's also now the commerce editor over at liquor.com. So you should check that out and she get this. And she has a book coming out this month called mixology for beginners that is available for pre-order on Amazon and links for that are in the show notes along with every other piece of information we could dig up on her during our intensive stalking session. Mary, <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: So happy to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Congrats on all this stuff. <laughs> so much stuff.
0: Oh, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that the pandemic has uh, has unleashed a lot of things for the gin- drinks industry and for people that, that work within it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's yeah. been exciting.
1: I feel like, and, I, I, and I'm and i going to jump, I'm jumping around, but do you, I feel like there must be some statistics available of the consumption, the increase in consumption of adult beverages during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you have any of this information?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, while I was doing a lot of virtual cocktail tutorials throughout the pandemic, and uh, people were making... So many cocktails at home, buying cocktail books, uh, buying more spirits and drinking more wine at home than ever before. I think it went up something like 70 percent. And and there were different, um, I think, for men and women, there were. Uh, different statistics, uh, but yeah, I think it, in the beginning, a lot more women were drinking because of mm. uh, childcare issues, and yeah. um, and and then um, and then men were, were were drinking more, and it kind of went back and forth. But yeah, the overall, um, I think the overall stats is that. it went up and I think a lot more people were at home cooking too, right? We, everybody was baking bread and, and, you know, but people were mixing up cocktails and, um, and exploring that. Once we got past the sort of the binging in the beginning, cause people were self-medicating in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. then I think a real interest kind of took root.
1: Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. Um, when, when, when I'm cooking a big meal with other people, I tend to have like a glass of wine or or something, and it's because it's a group activity and it feels social.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And and I'm just now I'm picturing everybody at home cooking because that's what we did, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just picturing those bottle of wines just getting you know empty ones just dropping in the recycling bin, and that sound oh, yeah. that sound really resonates with me.
0: Yeah, and people that would normally be drinking at home. They'd be going out, right? You'd be ordering, yeah. uh, ordering yeah. wine or ordering cocktails out at your favorite bars or restaurants. Then it kind of it, it turned into, well, we're we're stuck here, so we've got to figure it out if we want to if we want to have that, you know, martini or margarita at home. Then we're we're going to have to make it ourselves and learn how to make it properly because yeah. uh, not everybody knows. And then with the podcast.
1: I wondered, and you, you know, first of all, congratulations on that, and and you've got over a hundred episodes under under your belt, and yeah. I was looking at that number, and I was like, okay, we're on, we're on what nineteen? Believe it. Um, that's a major but, achievement, and I know how much work that takes. So, good so job. <laughs>
0: So much work, and and
1: you're 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 like rated so high. Like I I looked up all kinds of stats on it, and it's like in the top. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Like top three percent of podcasts. It's some crazy number that I found, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is huge. (laughs) And I wondered if podcast subscribership or. Listeners went up during the pandemic.
0: Oh yeah, that's another thing that went up. I think a, a lot of us were listening to podcasts and binge watching at home. Right? We were binge watching yeah. Netflix and and listening to shows. And uh, I I certainly did. I got a lot a lot more into podcasts. And um, yeah, and I you know I have a very niche podcast. Uh, as you know, it's all about the drinking culture, and so. Uh, the people that were already into that were of course, you know, listening to all the backlogged, um, Mm -hmm. no, um, shows that I had. And then I got a whole new, um, group of followers, which was, was great. Like the same people that we're, we're talking about now that were just started to get into the drinks making at home and, and kind of the new enthusiasts,
1: yeah, so. yeah. What what I really find super interesting is that, you know, and, and you know, you've you've created something that's it's it's you, right? I mean, your your persona, your your being. You've figured out some way to, tr- you know, transfer that energy to a career, um, <laughs> you know, and then you figured out a way to transfer it to media, you know, whether it's the podcast or or now a book and, and definitely the blog where, you know, that's branding to me. You've created a, a brand that, and knowing you, that feels very organic and authentic and natural. And I just wonder how, how this all kind of came together. I'm going to give something away that, I, cause I know you have a, uh, you're a New York theater actor at one point, but I, I wonder how this kind of creation, um, you know, took place back in the day or, 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 or if it just kind of happened.
0: Yeah. Well, it's weird because when I, I reflect back on this journey into like what's happening now, like I just wrote this book and I've had this podcast for a few years and I've been (laughs) blogging and writing and, you know, being a part of this industry for at least seven years. And it, it always felt sort of accidental. You know, I, um, I was an actor uh, in New York, and um, and in, you know, most like most actors, I was uh, working in restaurants, and you know, slinging drinks, and uh, cocktailing, and waiting tables, and and sort of the byproduct of all of that is, uh, I know so many people in the the hospitality industry that were former actors, or they still are, and. You know, so much of that interest happened was sparked when we were, you know, young and working in that industry. And like, I got into wine, and I was like working in a French restaurant when I was, you know, twenty two, and and I suddenly got into wine, and I started studying wine. I became a a trained sommelier that way. And sort of my, you know, my um, entrance into the whole drinks world was through the wine industry, which I think was an important one for me. I think it was important because it was training and um, and that was like kind of what I respected and I wanted that kind of background. Um, and there was some gravitas to that. And, um, and then it was a little bit more academic. And um, and I was in New York in sort of that, sort of the, the birth of that that huge explosion of the sort of cocktail resurgence the craft cocktail was resurgence and classic cocktails um coming to be and all the sort of speakeasies and bars that started popping up in new york were so exciting and so sexy and interesting and Mm -hmm. it drew me away from the wine industry really because i was much more attracted to what was going on in spirits and and also in the craft spirits um sort of landscape around the country there was all of these small distilleries that were popping up around the country around the world um all of these like uh, sort of um laws that had been in place since prohibition started getting overturned um at the, in the you know at early 2000s and um and so I was. I feel like in some ways I was in the right place at the right time, and I um, I was able to sort of be a part of that first generation of people kind of coming up in that world. And I was just a, a an enthusiast at that point. Um, I had yeah. moved on to working in marketing. I worked for People Magazine, and I was had a, this whole corporate side. And, um, and then on the side, that's when I got trained as a sommelier and I started getting very into cocktails and, um, and I was, you know, thinking of opening my own bar. I I worked on, um, a, a business plan with a partner for a few years on that and, um, got very close to opening and it didn't happen. It wasn't meant to be. And, um, and so I needed to sort of direct all of that energy that I had been placing into opening that place. I was going to open a bar in Brooklyn to, uh, something else. And that's how the, the bit by a Fox blog started. And it was really like for friends and family and, you know, just because I wanted to nerd out on the cocktail world. I, I, and I wanted to share that that love of, of of that and be kind of a cheerleader for the industry. Um, and then, you know, when it won Savoir Magazine's Best Cocktail Blog, that was only like eight months in. I was still pretty new at blogging and um, I didn't even have a camera yet. I was taking pictures on my iPhone and um, using a lot of vintage, you know, drink like ads from, uh, the fifties and sixties. And so I was creating kind of an aesthetic for myself. And like, I was already sort of like branding what I branding the bit by a Fox brand kind of came to be in those early days. And it was real, you know, guerrilla style marketing at that point, (laughs) but Yeah. yeah, the word spread. And, you know, after that, it was, you know, once you were in Savour, that was like a really big deal. And um, that's when publicists started um, reaching out to me. That's when I started working with brands. I started doing um, content creation for brands. I got a real camera and started taking um, pictures of, of cocktails. You could see the evolution of my photography over the years if you do look at the blog and, and look at, you know, where I am now. But, um, so it's been a, you know, it's been a journey. Whenever people ask me like, oh, where should I start? You know, if I want to start my own, um, site or, you know, less people are starting blogs nowadays, I think more people are doing podcasts and stuff. But, but I remember telling people like, just do it just jump in. Don't wait till it's perfect. Because when I look in those early at those early posts that I would write and the pictures are, it's real rough, you know? So I'm always like, you know, and it's a good lesson for me to sort of um, stick with too, and kind of remind myself that, you know, it's, it's much more important to sort of like just jump in and, um, and, and not wait for it to be, the, the most perfect that it can be that it, whatever's in your, in your mind that you think I'm, and I'm a perfectionist. I'm a, I'm a Virgo and, um, and I'm, yeah. you know, I, I really, I want everything to be sort of, you know, my ducks in a row. I want everything to be aligned and it's not always going to be like that. And so you just have to, you know, really roll, roll with the punches and um, and see what, what happens.
1: Yeah. I I had this conversation with somebody today and we were talking about how difficult it is sometimes for people with like a production or Hollywood background to get out of the mindset of like, we're going to like, you know, privately iterate, iterate, iterate until this thing is perfect. And then we're going to release it and then the world's going to love it. And I think (laughs) that's been very much replaced like with whether it's we're talking about like apps or software design or even the type of content that most of us consume is very much no we're going to iterate in public we're going to hone this craft right in front of you and i think that's almost become expected because you know uh audience and and you know followers or people who really enjoy the stuff you know enjoy that journey as well and they get to kind of say well i was there at the beginning Oh yeah, you know I remember when it was like prairie was blah blah blah, and she would go around and da 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 and they're like yeah and i've and I've been a part of that ever since, and so they get to vicariously enjoy the success when it when it when it happens and and yeah. that's that's super amazing. The other thing I thought of is that you know um you know i i have a, a, I was a theater kid as well, and uh you know and 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 it's amazing because like clearly i'm i i've I leaned into another area, which was like technology and using technology to tell stories. But, but that early theatrical education, I don't know what would have happened without it because it, it taught me about me oh, and yeah. it taught me about, it taught me how to empathize. Oh yeah. And, and I feel like branding and marketing and all the stuff that we all do right now, is is all about finding a good way to connect. And in order to connect, you need to understand who you're connecting with.
0: Yeah. Oh, I always, I, even when I worked in the corporate world, like when I sort of shifted away from performing and I went to film school and, and, um, and I remember meeting people that, you know, went to, you know, Harvard B- business school and I was surrounded by really like all these brainiacs, all these people that were super accomplished. And, and um, and they couldn't – a lot of people weren't able to present, like, at the top of their game. And I remember thinking, God, everyone would benefit from taking improv classes or taking some theater classes. Or even if it's not something that they're super into, um, I – I found it so valuable and um, I don't regret a a moment of, of any of my theater training. And, and I think it has only helped me. And people, when I, when I find out that people have a theater background or um, a creative background, performing background, I, I'm, I'm never surprised at their success. Like I feel like they're, you know, the, it makes sense that that you were a theater kid, Rob. So mm-hmm. I I I get that, and I think you know it, especially with podcasting too. Like you you run across so many people who don't know how to really talk on on, yeah. uh, on camera or into the microphone, and um, that kind of stuff is really key to yeah. uh, just putting perform- your it's a best
1: performance foot right? Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, it's all a performance. I mean, I mean business is a performance. Uh, and I used to talk about that in in terms of bartending too, like bartenders um they're performers they're they're you know they're, there's a little stage there and mm-hmm. um and real true hospitality. Um, you have to be a little on and um, and feel your make your guests feel welcome and um, feel loved and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Did we talk, uh, when you said that, I just thought of the show, um, White Lotus. Did we talk (gasps) about that ever?
0: Obsessed with White Lotus. Yes. It
1: was so, it was so fun. So good. So good. Mike White is such a great
0: writer and everyone in it is so great. It's such a journey.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I wasn't sure what to expect and I came in kind of late and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so brilliant. Like, and, and, you know, for me, I think my favorite part of that was the atmosphere that was created like the drums and that the score was
0: oh yeah the so, music was so, so amazing. Brilliant. it really yeah. was and just the look of the show too and having it set in this like tropical elite locale was it yeah the whole thing was uh, was really great
1: well, I think that one of the things I noticed about your, your photography and, and, you know, I probably, especially the photos of, of, of you that, that I've seen is that you've got this ability to create a scene, right? And, and when I think about, and, and in multiple ways, but when I think about the, the activity of, of having cocktails with somebody or having drinks, you're looking for that scene. You're like, it's almost like, this is going to sound weird, but we're on this quest for significance and these moments where we're the stars, you know, of, of life, right? <laughs> it feels so good. And there's something about being somewhere at a place and a smell and a, and a vibe with a drink that really triggers that for me. Yeah. And I yeah, think for yeah, most yeah. people, even if they can't like articulate it, it's just this magical feeling.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think the, that is what really attracted me to the whole cocktail scene in the very beginning. Um, that sort of fantasy, the escapism part of it, which is very much, you know, why I've been attracted to the arts and, and theater and film. And, um, and I think there's a lot of similar things about it. And um, especially in those early days when there were these speakeasy bars that were like you would escape into in, you know, you'd be in a big city and then you'd go into this quiet, beautiful, lush luscious space with everyone was dressed up and everybody was beautiful. And like the lighting was Mm -hmm. really great. And then you'd get these jewels in a glass and these cocktails that even if you weren't super into it, you could be into the atmosphere. You could be into the vibe of the whole thing. And that was uh, absolutely, um, you know, entrancing to me I I was very much into that world and um and I I wanted to explore that more I wanted to be a part of it I wanted to be part of that that club and I'm still an enthusiast I, I will always be
1: did the brand did the did your brand kind of is it an? did you come together as as organically as I suspect or was it very calculated like I don't know how exactly your (laughs) marketing brain works, but I'm trying to think of, you know, how you sketched out this, this scene that you were going to create with everything you did that was very attractive and got people, you know, excited and wanting to live in it. If that makes sense. (laughs) Well,
0: I'd like to, (laughs) I'm I'm flattered that you think anything was calculated, but I, (laughs) because I think. So much of like, like I, what I said, how I I feel like in so many ways I've stumbled into this world, um, even though I haven't, you know, it, it has been there, of course there's been strategy and there's been, um, plans and I've had aspirations, you know, every step of the way, but the idea of the, the, my brand and, and sort of like what I've put out there and uh, what I've produced has been entirely just from me. It's been organic because it's been what, you know, what I'm into, like, you know, I'm kind of into nostalgia. I'm, you know, I, I do like, um, vintage clothes and sort of a, a, sort of a, a nostalgic feel and, um, beautiful things and sparkly stuff. And, you know, but I'm also very much, um, a nerd and and I'm very you know enthusiastic about um about this world and um and I think the history is really interesting to me and and people's stories and the mastery and the craftsmanship and all of that stuff has always been fascinating to me at the same time so merging all of my interests has really been you know what the brand is it's been a product mm-hmm. of like just the things that I'm kind of into along the way. And it, it's also morphed and it's probably changed a little bit. It's gotten a little bit more modern and and cleaner. I'd like to think in some ways. Um, and, you know, as I get older, um, things shift and, you know, I'm into different things. So. Yeah.
1: Perry, you work with a, I mean, I, when I when I look at the 100 plus episodes of your podcast, it's like, it reads like a who's who of, of the industry. And you've, you've created this, um, this name for yourself that, that appears to give you, uh, it gives you a lot of access, right. To a lot of, you know, uh, industry movers and shakers and a lot of people running brands that are, that are really powerful and good and awesome. And, uh, I, I, I was just blown away Like, I, are these like, how does that work for you? Are these the things that you're actually like, Hey, I'm interested in this. I found out about this whiskey. I'm just going to reach out. Or do you go through a publicist? Like how does, what does that process like?
0: Um, it's a mix of things. I think because I've been doing this for as long as I have, I got in at a time when there weren't a lot of people, um, writing about this and producing this kind of, um, content. Uh, so I, I think I've, I've established relationships along the way and relationships with, with brands, with publicists, with, uh, master distillers and winemakers and, and the people that are on my show are either friends of mine that I, I, I know personally that I, I've been following over the years, and and have have seen the trajectory of their careers come to fruition. And some people um, are brand new, and and um and I get introduced to them because their publicist reaches out to me, and and um and I get a lot of pitches, and um and I, you know, feel I look through those, and I have people on that I'm most interested in talking to and also who I think would, you know, have a good story to tell and that people are, p- people may be interested in in hearing what they have to say. Um, you know, I, I don't think not everyone knows what uh, a master blender for a scotch distillery does exactly. And so I think that kind of information can be interesting and, or, or like what's happening in the champagne industry because of climate change. And, um, and so, you know, I, I talk talked to so many different kinds of people. A lot of them are makers of the, the, the drinks, the spirits and the um, uh, wine that we, we drink and, and, um, and some people are really business people too. And they are kind of the, marketing gurus behind some of this stuff that you know that's almost as important in some ways because that's what gets things on the shelf and um and kind of shapes our our, our feelings about a thing and so i i mean i think it's really interesting to investigate from all sides and uh, but the most important thing is the story and and that's the most important thing that's that that to me and that's interesting to me, it still needs to, you know, I still want to hear, um, and I love to hear people's journeys too. And like how, I know that sounds so cliche and kind of cheesy, but like so many people come from such weird, different backgrounds and, and so people have started distilleries and they were in finance for years, or maybe they were, you know, they were writers and, they, you know, they were enthusiasts and and then they started their own brand. And I, I, I love how people sort of like get to where they come from.
1: Yeah. Do you, and, and, and I don't want you to name names here, but do you find yourself, um, seeing brands pop up and recognizing, you know, maybe they're not, um, Their marketing's not going to make a connection with people, or they're not doing this right, or do you do you find yourself kind of like, oh, that's not going to, that's never going to happen. Those guys (laughs) just they don't have their shit together.
0: I mean, yeah, all the time, and sometimes I'm wrong, (laughs) you know.
1: Um,
0: but there is a there's a conference called the WSWA, the Wholesalers the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America Conference. And it's every year, it's either in Las Vegas or in Orlando. And um, and it's kind of the who's who of the spirits brands. And people come from all over. And, uh, and it's where brands come to launch and uh, where they – come to get distribution and they're looking for distributors and, or they're looking for media attention. And then there's a, you know, there's usually some sort of a competition and, and it's always interesting to me because you are fielding through, you're going through so many different kinds of brands from really crazy, you know, bottles shaped like a naked woman or an Uzi or like, you know, crazy tasteless, uh, brands that you know thought this was a good idea and uh, and then also things that are really uh you know kind of stand out and there was um there's always brands i'm uh, it's like going vintage clothing shopping you're kind of like it's mostly junk and then you find that jewel you know in the store that is going to be or antique shopping that is going to stand out and um and I think there was a there was the year the last year I went a couple of years ago, um, there was a gin, Grey Whale Gin. They were launching for the first time, and they had beautiful branding, a beautiful bottle. It was a husband and wife uh, team and, and the the wife did a lot of the branding. And, um, and the husband was a spokesperson for it. And, um, he was really charming and, um, they had a really great story. They were using botanicals from the journey that the gray whale takes up the coast. It was all this, um, um, sea the botanicals and, um, yeah. maritime botan- botanicals, which lended itself so well to, to a gin. And all of that said, you know, none of that would work unless the the product was good. Right. Um, and sometimes that happens where you're like, wow, it's a really beautiful bottle. I love the story behind it. The branding was really great. And then you try it and you're like, eh, not so good, but they happen to have a really great product. The, the brand one, I think it was the, the, it won sort of best brand of the, of the conference. And, um, but it was clear art, my first day there, like, it was like, Oh yeah, Grey Gin. there. The, it, the, there was a few takeaways that year. There was, um, a prickly pear liqueur that was really lovely. And, um, and there was also a cherry liqueur from Portugal and, uh, and, The thing about the other two is like, I think they had a hard time, harder time finding distribution. It was a little bit more niche and gin has the category of gin has taken off and it's, you know, it's skyrocketed in recent years. And so there's more of a market for that. So yeah, I'm always like uh, fighting for those underdogs, but then you also, you see things like that and you're like, ah, yep. That hits all the marks, the marketing hits it. And then, you know, the product uh, fulfills their marketing efforts, which always is, is nice to see, but, but the opposite always happens, you know, obviously happens. And, um, and, you know, marketing can be, it's, a, it's, it, it's blinding in a lot of ways.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at blue Nile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. I mean, I feel like um that consumers almost expect a good story these days, like it's almost like the cereal box when we were <laughs> when I was a kid, right, and you know it was, it, that's what sold the cereal most of the time. it right. was like you know the characters <laughs> yeah. and you know they would come and it got more and more ridiculous um, <laughs> right, you know, but you'd sit there and and we didn't have computers at the kitchen table, um, there was like, you could pick from a newspaper or a cereal box that you yeah. like five. So it's like, <laughs> I'm going to go with that cereal box and like, look at the back and play the game. But, you know, you saw these brands, you know, in a lot of cases, copycat brands, right. Popping up. Then it was this, basically the same thing. You know, it was Cheerios, but a different box. Right. And, and I always thought the same thing about you know the 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 spirit industry, where you know I I'm I can't say that I'm a, a connoisseur by any means, but you know you I couldn't necessarily tell you like why Grey Goose was better than Stoli, except for it was presented really well, and uh, you know and I remember like reading the story in some marketing book very early on, in in that you know that it was you had marketers involved in oh, creating yeah. Grey Goose, and it worked. Oh yeah. You know, and people liked it. And, and again, I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying vodka is vodka cause there's some really bad vodka that'll give you sure. a headache clearly. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and vodka can be made with different things and it tastes slightly different. Like, and, but, but Absolutely. on the higher end, I don't, you know, I felt like, okay, well I guess gray goose. And for a long time, I thought this, gray goose must be the best cause it's pretty right. expensive. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really, it, it just feels like it's good. It's not <laughs> right? even taste. Yeah. It just so, feels good.
0: They did their job. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the genius of, of, of marketing, right? It's um, it creates brand loyalty and you can't even really understand why you're loyal to something sometimes, you know, I, I think with Grey Goose, it was so brilliant, and you know Sidney Frank is behind Grey Goose, and he's one of the most brilliant booze marketers in history. He brought uh, Jägermeister into this country, and um, and he, yeah, I mean vodka has a, has a long been one of the best marketed um, spirits there there is. I mean Smirnoff was the first one to kind of to to, to really do that. And they're the ones that kind of put vodka on the map in this country, um, in, in the forties, fifties and, um, and held rank for a really long time. They created the Moscow mule and, um, and they, you know, went from bar to bar. They were the first ones that really uh, talked to bartenders to help spread the word. And um, they did that early on. And, and, and spirits brands, like every one of them does that now. They always incorporate um, um, marketing to bartenders now and fly bartenders all around the world on, on, on uh, media trips. Um, but Smirnoff was the first one to do that. And then, uh, absolute was the next one that kind of held the, right. They held the market for a number of, um, decades and, um, into the nineties. And then with gray goose, we hadn't really had a, a, a kind of a high end vodka at that point. And that was in the late nineties, mid to late nineties. And, um, and so with Sidney Frank, he was like, "Well, let's put it in France, you know. Let's make it in France. Let's make it in Fran- France. Is is fancy? So let's let's have it come from France, and and let's like make a bottle that is, um, you know, looks kind of like a wine bottle, so it stands out on the shelf and um, and is really elegant and. Um, And let's bring in um, a a cognac distiller to make this vodka because that's different. And so, you know, every step of the way, like it was really strategic and it it produced a good product, but it was absolutely thought out in terms of how are we going to be able to charge $10 to $15 more than absolute at this point. And, um, and then they, it was kind of perfect timing for them because when they launched, it was also like sex in the city, um, was, you know, all about the Cosmo and they, they had like a great goose Cosmo, I think on the show. And, um, and so, yeah, he ended up, I think he sold it for like $2 billion. Um, he died one of the richest That's men in the world when he sold it to the party. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. i mean i mean but it but it but all these elements are are pieces of a story, right they're all oh, yeah, you know, as you describe it, you know you're grabbing something from over here, grabbing something over here and over here, and you're manifesting this history that's rich and and interesting that in theory would produce something good and did
0: yeah you know? yeah. I mean, that is that's when, you know, everything the, the universe aligns, you know, the stars align and, and the confluence of I mean, that's when marketing genius really um, comes into play, because you you also have to know that whatever you're producing has to deliver in some way. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're putting it out and, and uh, people will buy it as a novelty product and then never again.
1: I I see a lot of people like I've, I've offered people Grey Goose at my house and then they'll see like a bottle of Tito's and they'll go for the Tito's lately. What? So, (laughs) which is strange to me because I didn't think Tito's was like, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I didn't think it was like all that. Right. And so I was trying to figure out what is Tito's brand? I don't even know. Like what are they?
0: Tito's brand is that they are, you know, and they came out, they also had amazing timing because when they, Launched, they were um, kind of, you know, I think taking advantage of the small batch, handcrafted, you know, um, smaller distillery kind of um, buzz that was happening um, around the country. And, and people were like, oh, this is like my neighborhood distillery. And everybody had a new neighborhood distillery. And, and Tito's kind of launched on this idea that they were handcrafted and handcrafted vodka. I mean, so it was, uh, you know, it, again, it was a big marketing, uh, ploy and, and people, you know, glommed onto that and it, and it has stuck, you know, they, they created brand loyalty right out of the gate. And, um, and also being from Texas, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride in Texas, like people from Texas and, you know, not that there isn't in other states, but for some reason there, there's a lot, there's a lot of,
1: maybe Because it's, it's the biggest, I don't know.
0: Maybe, maybe, yeah.
1: Everything's big. <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, they've got that pride. on their side.
1: Yeah, yeah big so. pride. What's, what's going on with all the, um, it feels like every time I turn around, some actor kind of dude <laughs> is, is involved with some booze. It's like McConaughey, uh, George Clooney sold that tequila mm-hmm. brand. I think Ronald Reynolds is doing something like, what is, what is happening there? Yeah. And so then, many. yeah. And I've never, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like I've seen a lot of, um, female celebrities launch, um, you know, adult beverage brands. I, I yeah. and maybe I'm wrong. I just, none come to mind immediately.
0: Yeah not as much. I mean, yeah, it is kind of crazy how many dudes, how many celebrity male celebrities have gotten involved in the spirits industry. And sometimes it's just they're lending their name to it. Sometimes they've got a stake in it. Sometimes they outright own it. Um, you know, with in the case of of George Clooney, he you know, he owned it um, but also who like who made it? I don't even know. Like Casamigos, yeah. they sold it for a billion dollars. Um, Ryan Reynolds, I know, uh, bought into Aviation Gin. Um, it was started out in, in Portland by House Distillery and Great Distillery uh, out of Portland. And um, and but he, you know, there are some people that are a little bit more hands on. He's a little bit more hands on. Matthew McConaughey, um, I think he's he's got a little bit of a stake in is the Wild Turkey. Sort of expression that he's worked on, um, but he's kind of a more of a spokesperson too behind it, and and so you see that a lot of the times. Um, and like Jay Z has a cognac brand, and. Uh, uh, lot, so many rappers have, have, mm-hmm. have some sort of, uh, you know, um, or hip hop stars have, um, and, and now tequila seems to be the most popular one. I, I'm really bums that it like Kendall Jenner is like one of the only female, uh, celebrities, I guess, that is, is, um, kind of dipping her toes in, in the, um, the spirits world because they're, yeah, they're, there, there should be more. But it seems like a lot more women are involved in wine brands. So like Cameron Diaz um, launched uh, Aveline uh, last year, two years ago now. Drew Barrymore has her own. Pink has her own wine brands. And I know that she's really hands-on with her, her wine. I've never actually tried it. Um, so I think there's more women involved in the wine industry, which You know, I, I would love to see, um, you know, there's a lot of women in the industry that, um, in, in all aspects of the industry from, you know, distilling to marketing to, um, you know, um, blending, but, um, but yeah, in terms of female celebrities, you don't see that as much. And, um, yeah, Uh, it'd be sure. It'd be nice to see. I mean,
1: I kind of, I kind of imagine this like, uh, and I would definitely buy this this Kristen Scott Thomas, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, drink or, or, or bottle. And I I just think it's like classy and right, and chore What and, would she
0: have? What would you it, think that would be? Something elegant, maybe a Cognac. Something,
1: yeah, something, something. And and, and you know, it's just you know, it, it it makes you just want to stand up straight and have good posture. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like one of these like proper proper drinks. Oh,
0: um, I love Kristen Scott Thomas.
1: Yeah, did you see her? She was so good on What is that? Fleabag? Do you remember that? Did you watch that?
0: Oh, I loved Fleabag. Um Yeah. She Wait a second. She was in Fleabag?
1: Yeah, wasn't she the uh she's like the older woman that that Fleabag like uh encounters. She's she's gone through menopause. That was Kristen Scott Thomas, right? Oh. Was, yeah. Right. You know who I'm talking yes. about? Yes. No, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You know, and, and she yeah. kind of, re- in, in it, it you know, she's playing a role, but it, I always looked at it as, oh, that's Kristen Scott com is Scott like 2.0. And she's right. like, you know, she's she's coming to her, her own at this point, and that's when she should make the drink. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Maybe she could be involved in a, in a brown spirit, maybe a whiskey of some sort.
1: Yeah. You know, <laughs> one of the things that's probably, you know, comes up for these for these brands a lot is advertising and you know, the policies around advertising for adult beverages and and how that, you know, how that works on social media and on the internet and, you know, digitally. Um, you know, I mean before it was probably pretty easy. You could you you couldn't be on T V, but you could be in like, you know, I don't know, Playboy. I, I, I'm trying to think back of where I saw right. where I yeah. saw Bruce Ads. Um you know I mean what's is that something that you get involved in that you that that you help out with uh you know with these with these brands
0: no not necessarily the advertising side of things that's I'm probably more on the marketing side um with with brands and branding and and um anything from copywriting to I've created i have my my words are on lots of bottles out there, yeah. um, to, um, you know, campaigns, things like that, but not, um, outright advertising. And, and like you said, it is tricky with, with alcohol brands. Um, you would see them in, you know, in magazines and, and I love all those like vintage booze brands. They're so fun. And, um, But, uh, but yeah, you can't advertise on, 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 television anymore. And, um, so, so a lot of the sort of the efforts I think are, are, um, are experiential. Um, there's events that, that pop up and I've helped out with things like that, uh, with branded events, experiential events, um, and, um, and influencer marketing is so huge in, in the, the spirits world. Um, and, uh, that's how we, we market things a lot of times now.
1: Yeah. That feels like a bit of a Trojan horse, right? Yeah. yeah. Like being able to, you know, cause I was thinking about it. You can kind of sneak it in because it's just this person on Instagram showing you da da da, but it's actually an influencer getting paid. I know that people are supposed to declare that now when it's, when it's paid, oh, yeah. but I, I don't believe everybody does.
0: No. I mean, so many, I think we've also gotten really savvy over the years too. Our social media savviness has been upped. Um, I think we've gone through, you know, this phase where, you know, boo influencers, what does that mean? And, um, And there's been a negative connotation around it because it's like, who do you believe? I'm not going to believe this, you know, person takes these diet pills and, you know, whatever. Um, But um, Mm. and then there's a whole new generation coming up that is so savvy and um, and they kind of don't care either that it's like. That they're being marketed to all the time. I think we're from a generation of um, Gen X, which is um, we, we were very, I think, um, cynical around that kind of stuff that, um, you yeah. know, we don't want to be. I remember going to a movie for the first time where there was like a commercial that was in one of the, the the trailers, and there was and everybody in. I think I was in Seattle at the time, which is very on brand for Seattle. But um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally, and I, everyone booed in the theater because <laughs> "boo" commercials are bad. And like, meanwhile, you are marketed to all the time. we just watch like three trailers of movies and, but you know, there's a Coke commercial and now it's different. So um, yeah, I think we have gotten just a little bit more sophisticated in terms of um, how we detect being marketed to and what we accept. And, um, and, and I think what we have to kind of accept is we're being marketed to all the time. The, you know pretty much all the time like i uh-huh. i think i don't have my my podcast is not sponsored i, I have done some sponsored um um s- a series i did sponsored series on the podcast but um but i always wanted it to be and the 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 blog was kind of the same way i wanted my um all of my sort of sponsored content to be either off the blog or if it was on the blog then it was um it was really noticeable, and um, but the the tone always stayed the same. It was me being I whether I was paid or not. I wanted to lift up the industry. I wanted to be a cheerleader for brands I was excited about, for bars and bartenders, and the hospitality industry. And um, and it should. I wanted it to sort of, even if I was doing any kind of sponsored content, I wanted it to align with everything else I was doing, which, um, was in general to uplift. I never really did reviews because I didn't ever want to do anything super negative. And, um, and I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be a journalist on my blog. And, um, and I've certainly written, you know, I've contributed to other publications where I've had to be more of a a journalist and I'm an editor now and I have to be, um, very objective, but, um, but, you know, on social media, I think it's, um, you know, I think we have, we, we, I think we've been able to detect things a lot more clearly now, um, when it comes to marketing, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Perry, the book, um, mixology for beginners is, is this your first book?
0: It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm very I'm excited. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of a long time coming. I was in talks with publishers um, years ago when I first um, won the Savoir Award. Um, well, there was a number of publishers that reached out to me about writing a book then, and I'd had a few proposals in the works and nothing worked out. And um, And then it was, you know, at the beginning of Lockdown really, the big, right when this sort of the pandemic kind of set in, I was approached by a publisher to write a cocktail book that w- was very different than what this turned out to be. Um, I, I actually had to rewrite this because of what happened over the course of the pandemic and the consumer interest in the buying patterns mm-hmm. changed, um, and so what it ended up being is it's called mixology for beginners and it really is what has kind of come about in the past year and a half when we were in lockdown people were introducing them people for the very first time that may not are you know may not be big drinkers but they suddenly took an interest in it they were going to happy hours virtual happy hours they were making things at home they were you know, Googling, uh, you know, Vucare or, you know, a Boulevardier what's in that. And, um, drinking Negronis at home when they normally would be ordering them out. So, uh, yeah. So it really kind of came about, it's really such a product of this past year and a half. And it, and it came out of, um, of what we've all been through. So, I, I'd like to think that it's it's rather timely, but I'm really mm. proud of what it's turned out to be. I, I was able to include, you know, drinks that I think everyone should know, some real classics, some real basic drinks that, you know, I wanted to get the classic specs on those drinks. And then I got... Was able to pull in some modern classics of, of bartenders and bars from around the world that I really respect, that I think also people should know, and are not super complicated, um, pretty approachable. And then I also was able to include uh, drinks that were like off of my blog over the course of the years that were like the greatest hits, the the yeah. drinks that you know got the most clicks because of, and um, and so I knew that they were popular amongst people. And they tend to be the most simple too. a lot of three, four ingredient cocktails that are really approachable. And, um, and I got to include my story in there a little bit, at least in the, in the introduction of the book, um, how I came into this world. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm really, I'm very proud of what it turned to be. I can't
1: wait to read it and, uh, (laughs) you know, try to make some of the drinks, although I'm not very good at making drinks. Oh, it doesn't uh, matter. I'm, just,
0: I'm, not very good at,
1: I'm good at. I'm better at drinking the drinks <laughs> than making the drinks. But that well, might I'll be ever. I'll come over,
0: good. I'll make some drinks for you, Rob.
1: Okay. Pray, what's like the. the? And I know we're just uh, reaching a point where we can even think about going back out in the world now. But, um, you know, what, what, most recently, is there any place that you visited coming back um, in, into into life that, that people should, should, that should be on the radar for folks who are itching to have a safe kind of COVID, um, friendly experience out there in (laughs) in Los Angeles or anywhere that that you've been hanging out?
0: I mean, there's so many great bars in Los Angeles and, and, um, and beyond. I mean, I, I, you know, when things first started opening up, I went out to New York, back to New York after being gone for two years and, um, hitting some of my favorite places. And, um, uh, Dante is one of them. Um, and you can sit outside and, um, and I, I love Dante because it has a real sort of, um, aperitivo feeling. It has a lot of Italian spritzes and, um, um, Amaros and bitter liqueurs and things like that, which I, I love um, I was just up in Sa- Sacramento for um, for a media trip and went to an incredible natural wine bar up there that is um, owned and, and co-owned. And re- it's run by someone who had um, uh, actually had a was down in L.A. And, and at the Walker Inn. He was a general manager out, uh, down here. And that was one of my favorite bars here. Um, sadly it, uh, no, the Walker Inn is still around. Um, the, um, Normandy club, which is behind it. Um, the little speakeasy behind it closed sadly, but the Walkerine Inn is still around. And, um, But this natural wine bar has – it's all beautiful natural wine and also uh, low ABV and no ABV cocktails. So that's a huge trend right now, which is, um, you know, with all this drinking, uh, a lot of people are – were drinking more than they wanted to maybe and they wanted to pull back on it. And so there is this trend towards a lower alcohol – uh, cocktail lower alcohol spirits um a lot of vermouths all vermouths are are lower like usually half the amount of alcohol is is um uh, foolproof spirits um yeah. and uh aromatized wines things like that um so they had a lovely a lovely menu there and um but out here uh, there's got in LA. There's so many. Bar Flores is one of my favorites. That's in, that's uh, female owned um, and um, Hispanic owned um, and it's in Echo Park here and it's beautiful. They've got an outdoor space. They have have a a woman almost every night they have like fresh tortillas out there. Uh, It's really beautiful. They've got a a great agave spirits menu. uh, A lot of tequila and mezcal. And, um, and in LA, that's, I think that's what we do well out here. A lot of the, you know, there's a huge consumption of, of agave spirits here. We're so close to Mexico. And, um, and I've gotten a real appreciation for since moving here for, for agave spirits and also for California wine. Like I, I was, uh, you know, I've been an enophile for a long time, and and I was, you know, uh, uh, probably a little biased towards um, European wines for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but I'm from the Pacific Northwest. There's amazing wines from Oregon and Washington and and, and California, and the Central Coast is is um, a beautiful place for. But in Sacramento, where I was just at, there was, yeah. uh, you know, amazing wine regions. So. You know, it's so fertile out here, but, um, yeah, I mean, I can go on and on about, um, bars and places people should visit,
1: but. I realize I'm going to have to send you a separate note and just ask (laughs) you for some recommendations because, you know, I'm like, all right, I wrote down bar floors. I got to go there. I I haven't been there. Yeah. create my list, my hit list.
0: I was just at Salazar the other night with your wife, Julie, and we had, um, I had a lovely Paloma out there. They've they have a Mezcal Paloma on tap there, which is so good. I'm a big fan of that.
1: I went there for the first time, uh, last week and, uh, I, I never knew what was back there. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so nice back here. Why didn't I know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very casual. It's very it casual. Is.
0: It feels so California vibe. there, too. It's like it's yeah. all outdoors. And um, it used to be an old auto body shop, I think. Yeah. And yeah. That's yeah. What told me. Yeah. And it's just like it feels like it's very garden, little garden, urban garden out there. And the food's great too, but yeah, Yeah.
1: big fan. It's super cool. Perry, this has been so awesome. And I really want to thank you to coming on and, and sharing with the listeners a little bit of your story and, and what you've been up to. And, and, you know, it's just such, you've, you've had such impressive success. And, and I mean, as you said, you've created a very specific niche for yourself that you're just dominating. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud to know you and to have someone in my, circle who has this ability and knowledge and talent. So, so thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, best way to stay in contact with you is is the blog. Like people want to know more, like what's the best way?
0: Well, the best way it's probably, I'm not as active on the blog anymore. Um, I shifted focus to the podcast and, um, and, um, and then I've since taken a break from the podcast last few months, but we'll be jumping in very soon. I do want to help to promote my book as well, yeah. uh, but the best place is probably on my social channels. I'm Bit by a Fox on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook and um, and so yeah, I you can follow me there and be updated with everything that you need, Bit by a Fox related and me Gosh, related. Can we- <laughs>
1: we're going we're going to put those all in the show notes and uh fabulous and uh yeah and and thanks again um listeners you've been listening to Prairie Rose our guest on DTC growth hacking presented by Field Test uh just to remind you that Prairie has a book coming out and it's available for pre-order on Amazon and if you check the show notes you'll find that along with all of her social links and everything else um, we, we produce podcasts uh, right now once a week. We're very aggressive. Um, we talked about this prairie. We're, we're, we haven't <laughs> learned right. our lesson yet. <laughs> yeah, we're trying every week um, and wow. Uh, you know, every Tuesday we release and, uh, and we really try to bring in the most interesting, cool um, and, and fascinating folks who know this new language of marketing and, and, and speak it well. So uh, I'll see everyone in a week. And Prairie, again, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Rob. This has been so great to talk to you. This was a Field Test
1: Podcast.